Good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome to Sunday School. Let's start with prayer. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this day, for um, the fact that we have a day of rest in which we can come and rejoice in your presence. Help us to uh, be glad and rejoice uh, in what you have done for us and in the fact that we are welcome into your presence. Father, as we explored another of the modes of existence of the church, bless us this morning. Uh, help us with your spirit and be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, so I saw that the paper already uh, sparked some conversations. Um, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was. That's why I was a provocateur in this, in this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was about to shy away from it. No. Um, so, um, just a reminder and to do theology is to distinguish well. When we don't distinguish well, then we have problems and we create issues that should not be or should not uh, have been created. So uh, if, we, if we separate things, then that's a problem. If we unite things uh, uh, too much, then that's a problem too. Think about the natures of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if his human nature is swallowed up by the divine nature, then that's a problem. It's a heresy. That's called monophysitism. If, on the other hand, we separate them too much uh, in the way that we have uh, one human nature and one divine nature that are totally apart and they never communicate with each other, then that's heresy. That's called Nestorianism. And so, um, in the same way with what we understand about the church, if we divide too much, if we unite too much, then that's a problem. And that's what we are going to talk about uh, this morning. Another thing that I uh, want you to have in mind is that this distinction uh, that we, are, we have been exploring recently, uh, it's, it's a very new one. Um, it's 19th uh, century and 20th century. That doesn't mean that it's not valid. It just means that the necessities of 18th, 19th, and 20th century have made this development uh, possible and necessary, so to speak, because we need to rethink uh, how we apply our theology to what is happening in our current modern times. Uh, one of those things is, uh, and I told you uh, uh, two weeks ago, that for the uh, medieval, early medieval, modern, no, early, no, late medieval and early modern man, um, to have your membership in a church was the most natura, natural thing in the world. You didn't have to uh, even consider the question. You were born in Germany or in any other country, you were part of that church. Uh, it's, it's in that sense that uh, for those people, if they come to America here, they will say the church, the church, doesn't exist here in America. Uh, why? Because there is not one cohesive 
nature, uh, nat natural church where everyone belongs to, where everyone is, is around uh, it. So if you go to Spain, for example, or, or if you go to other uh, countries, you have what, you, what we used to have here, like little towns and then in the center, the church. Well, here we have so many churches all over the place that the church seems not to exist. It's a different reality. That's what I'm trying to say. And then a membership has become voluntaristic. Uh, if I want to, I will commit to this church. If I don't want to, I won't commit to this church. And sometimes it's not, it's not um, good for me to commit to any church, right? Why should I do that? Um, so it's very individualistic. And over that, you need to add the challenge of how do we move and be church in a world like that? Um, the institutional church is more and more and more downplayed uh, with every year that passes. Ecclesiology is one of the things that suffers the most in our, in our uh, day and age. Uh, if you go and ask like um, our Baptist brothers about their ecclesiology, you will hear a very different answer than what you hear from me. Um, you know, what is the most cohesive thing that the church has? They will say, well, families, it's important to have time with our families. Uh, we will say, we are not gathered to celebrate our families. We're gathered to worship God around the ministry of the word and sacraments that he has given us. And that's the church. And the church, it's important. The church is this body that God has given us that we need to uh, uphold against other institutions. Um, so, uh, you know, ecclesiology, again, is, is super important. So uh, those are like initial remarks. Do you have any questions before we start? All right. So now that we know what the visible church as an institution and an organism are, then we will see which fun functions each one um, uh, work under or produce or I don't know. So we are going to explore the church's mission as an institution and the mission of the church as an organism. And we will also see the different principles that God has placed on the church visible. So the first thing that I wanted to address this morning was, uh, is it better to speak about two kingdoms or is it better to speak about one kingdom? Uh, which one is which? Here's the thing. I think none of, none of both uh, are properly placed in this distinction. Uh, kingdom of God, as we will see probably next week, is something entirely different than what we are talking about right now. Uh, kingdom of, of God is bigger. It's a bigger category. And so when we distinguish uh, between one kingdom or two kingdoms, uh, we need to, we need to um, explain really well what do we mean by kingdom? So I find the distinction unhelpful because it confuses the institutional church and the mission of the church as an organism when we are not gathered together as a church. In other words, when you are in your house zipping hot cocoa and uh, helping your kids do their homework or changing diapers, uh, you cannot say that is the institutional church. Right? Uh, you cannot say, um, when I'm doing this, I'm doing church. Like, and I, I, I sip some wine and eat some bread and I'm doing sacraments. 
You cannot say that because that's not the institutional church. Uh, pastor and elders and deacons are not there with other brothers and sisters cheering you, sisters cheering you on. Yes, change a diaper, go ahead, right? Um, that's that's we are not there. We are in a different mode of existence. Um, in the same way, uh, I, I put the example last week uh, as your family. Uh, when you are a Skiles, a Garcia, a Vandenhoek, you don't stop being a Vandenhoek just because you are far away from your family. You are still a Vandenhoek, but uh, the way you do things uh, is different because you are not around your family. So probably you want uh, you want joke around as much, right? I want talk to my mom as I talk normally when I, I'm around her because my mom is not here and, and things like that. So think in those categories. That's Those are the categories that we are to think uh, when we are gathered and then when we are spread abroad. So um, collapsing everything into one kingdom does not take into account also the continuities and discontinuities of the Old Testament and New Testament, the advancement and progressiveness of a special revelation the redemptive period of time in history we find ourselves in, among other issues. In other words, what I'm trying to say there is God's purpose for the civil law and um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, ceremonial law. Thank you. I was thinking cultic for some reason. <laughs> A ceremonial law was not to say uh, this is to be repeated every single time that Christians are in a different country. This is what Christians are to do all over the place. You know why? Because Jesus Christ fulfilled it. Those are shadows of what Jesus Christ came to fulfill and to uh, uh, remove, so to speak. Think about this. If we are not to have a temple, why should we have civil and ceremonial laws that speak about the temple? And if the civil and ceremonial laws of um, Israel are meant to uh, take care of the most important things that a society has, why is it that we don't have in the Old Testament um, laws regarding water? Um, that is really important. Maybe not for us today, or maybe it is. Um, but the water laws were really, really important. I just read the Code of Hammurabi uh, this week with regards to the civil laws that the people of ancient Near Eastern nations had to uphold. And do you know what is the most important thing that they highlight? Water. You cannot steal water. You have right to water, but you are not to contaminate water. Israel is in a desert, and God doesn't speak anything about water. Is it because he doesn't care about water rights? No, he does. But his main principle is not to create a nation that will endure forever and that we need to model that law until the end. Clearly, that is not the case because uh, those important things are not there. In addition to that, uh, think about um, uh, dressing codes and progression in redemptive history. Uh, you cannot wear polyester, all of you, myself, sinners. Unclean. We cannot even be here because we have polyester in our clothing, right? Um, um, how about 
um, you know, laws of, of um, um, raping or uh, killing animals and things like that. How do we apply that to the office? Like if someone steals your document and, uh, you know, you don't return the document, you are to, re you are to return the Word document at three times as much and, you know, uh, with footnotes and everything. Um, yeah, good luck with that, right? Uh, maybe works in a rural area like, like here, where you have ranches and cattle and things like that. How do you apply that to New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Istanbul, um, I don't know, Berlin? Um, added to that, we need to remember that God created the world to progress. There is a beginning in history. There is an end in history, and there is progress in between. We no longer have monarchies. We have democracies, and the monarchies that exist no longer have any power over their nations. And so because that's the reality, uh, the church has to accommodate certain things regarding how we live in those different situations. And we will talk about that with John Calvin, how he explains that. Because uh, many people say, well, Calvin, Calvin wanted to have a, th a theocracy on Geneva. No, he didn't. That was not his purpose. Uh, read Calvin, and you will discover what he speaks about. Other people go back to St. Augustine. And they say, well, he has this theory of the city of God and the city of men. And clearly the city of God is speaking about uh, you know, us conquering. That's a misreading of, Cal of Augustine, by the way. Uh, no, he's not saying that. Um, so um, that's not how we are to apply um, scriptures to our reality. I, I will explain later. It, there is rather a different life principle in everything that God has created. And we need to be wise in how we approach every single one of those life principles that we have in this world so we can be salt and light in the places that God has given us according to where we are found in those, in those situations. Now, the other side of it, if one side goes, everything is one, and, and there is no distinctions, right? Everything should be put, uh, as, as we say. The other side, on the other hand, divides everything and split, splits everything. Uh, in two kingdoms, um, so, so to speak, to affirm that Jesus rules the world uh, through his special revelation in the kingdom of the church and in a different way through natural law in the kingdom of the world is also problematic. Jesus under, under that scheme is bipolar. So you have Jesus who, whose power and rule and he's sitting on the throne, according to Paul, right? And he's ruling. But in the church, he rules through scriptures. And in the world, he rules through natural law. Uh, so it is a sin to lie in the church. It's not a sin to lie in the world. Bipolarity. Um, how, do you even, how do you even do church in, a, in that scheme? How do we even discipline you? Right? If you are, if you are being... Uh, um, misbehaving. Think about, think about, let me push, let me push the analogy a little bit. Um, what about, yeah, I went to church, 
And the moment I stepped out, I can see my affair and my second family. And, uh, you know, I, I'm entitled to three or more women because this is natural law world. God doesn't care about it. It's natural law. And I have reasoned that since God has blessed me with a good salary, a um, million dollars a year, I can have more than one wife because I can maintain more than one wife and more than one family. Natural law. It's logical. It's consistent. I'm not failing to my marriage vows. I'm faithful to both of them, if that's possible. Um, right? And my kids are going to good Christian schools. How, how do you do that? Uh, and, and the church suddenly cannot say, well, um, we are going to discipline you because you have an affair. No, I don't. Because the family I come to the church is a Christian family. And the other family is a natural law family. They are not Christians. But that's okay because they live in the natural world. Natural law applies there. I, I know I'm pushing the boundaries. I know. But that's the logical conclusion. Um, and if, what if, um, what if um, stealing up to $2,000 is legal in, in like California, oh, let's, let's think California, <laughs> um, $900, right, legal to steal. Um, is it okay for a Christian to steal up to $900? I mean, it's the world, natural law, right? The state has said so. We can do it. Natural law. And when you are in the world of natural law, you cannot say the Bible says or the Ten Commandments say you cannot do this because it's a stealing. Because you're bringing the law that God has designated for the church into the secular world. Don't do that. Um, do you see? Do you see the problem? Uh, one kingdom problematic, two kingdoms is also problematic. Over that, uh, kingdom language is not helpful. Uh, kingdom is more than just uh, what is in the church and what is uh, and what is happening here. And we will see that, that next week. There is more than just that. And in fact, uh, both of these views. Uh, failed to, to uh, recognize the natural, organic way in which God has designed this life to exist. Uh, think about it. You don't, bless you, you don't, you don't live with um, people who are believers all the time. You are always intermingling with other people who are not Christians. Um, um, or you are working for people who are not Christians. And so what do you do then? Um, do you require them to behave as a Christians? That'll be naive. They don't know anything. Um, uh, or um, do you act like them just because you are with them? They'll be naive too. You're a Christian. You have a different life principle in you. When the Holy Spirit came into your heart, it transformed your will to 
uh, hating, from hating God to loving God and wanting to serve Him? How can you go, I'm going to deny this life principle that the Holy Spirit has given me in order to um, um, live as a pagan in the world because I'm in the world? Or how can you go, I'm going to force people to have in them something that only the Holy Spirit can provide? That'll be, that'll be really weird. That's why forced conversions never worked in history. Um, oh, you know, um, uh, the empire is Christian now. And because, you know, the emperor is Christian, and because the emperor now is in the good side of history, then everyone else, patricians, senators, everyone becoming a Christian, is it because they are true Christians? No, they still worship their little gods. They just came to church uh, because that's what you know good patricians do. That's like respectable, good people who wants to who wants to upscale in Roman society do. Uh, I I have a friend in college, and it was in in a point in time in Ecuador in which, uh, for some reason, everyone was. Uh, everyone I knew was becoming a Christian. And one day my friend came to me and, and she says, Christian, Christian, good news. I'm like, what happened? So, oh, we decided to become Christians. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, congratulations. You know, oh, my sister. And she goes, yeah, all of our friends are Christians and we are going to their church too. Now we can have clubs together. Now we can have all of these chats together because, you know, we are that kind of people too. I'm like, that's not why you become a Christian. <laughs> but that's what happened in the empire. How do you force that into people? Uh, right? Um, and also, isn't it misunderstanding the nature of how God rules his church through Jesus Christ in the preaching of the gospel? Because in... Jesus Christ, uh, is the Holy Spirit who does the work of transforming hearts and moving them into belief. Uh, so if you go and speak the gospel to someone and that someone rejects you, you cannot go full Luther and say that you hate the Jews. That's a misunderstanding of, of how God administers his, his, his uh, grace. If they don't believe, it's because it's their fault. The Holy Spirit has not softened their hearts. Uh, oh, well, he didn't believe. Let's stone them. Is that what the Bible says? No. Different administration, different nature. Unbelief is to be here with us until the end. It's not a theocracy in the old sense of the world, of the word, excuse me. Uh, Israel no longer exists as as the church and the state. And even in Israel, in the Old Testament, church and the state uh, were still separated. That may surprise you, but were still separated. The king was the king of the nation, and the priest was the one who performed duties in the temple. Those two rarely intermingled. Remember what happened with King uh, Ahaz, I think, when he decides, you know what? I'm going to offer incense. Uh, well, he became lepers. And, and he was a good king, by the way. Very godly, very pious. He just decided to administer to himself 
something that did, didn't belong to his office. Um, king is not priest. And even, even in Israel. So I believe for those reasons, this is not um, helpful. So we are not talking about two kingdoms or one kingdom here. We're talking about the church as an institution and the church as an organism, uh, which, is, which is different. Um, so the kingdom of God is more than the church, something that we will explore later, as I said. For now, what is more important to notice is that there are clear examples in the scriptures talking about who we are to be in church and in the world. Think about Matthew 5. Uh, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and, we, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, When you are in the church, then you are blessed. When you are in the church, then you are salt of the church. Um, when you are in the church, you are light of the church. A city set on a hill that should be hidden when you are not in the church. That's not what Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount. You are salt of the earth. That's all-encompassing. Uh, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. Notice again that all-encompassing language. Uh, a light of the world, no light of the church only, and then hide it. Uh, nor do people, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So uh, Jesus is not um, forming a monastic um, or, or order. Um, that, that was a distortion of Christianity uh, with good intentions because they wanted to uh, live the Christian life, right? They were extreme. They were uh, radicals. You know, there was like an, in the 90s, a church movement, radicals for Jesus. And that, that was monastic movement, radicals for Jesus. Uh, take up one eye, they did. Like, go live in an isolation and, and deny the world entirely. They did. Um, they didn't take the part of, uh, you are in the world, but not of the world. Anyhow, um, Jesus also is concerned for more than salvation of uh, our souls. Uh, when uh, This is Matthew 8, 1 through um, 17. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him him. Um, so Jesus in chapter 5 is on the mountain. He is God himself from a mountain speaking to the new community of the faith, the new Israel, the new laws that he has brought for his community. And in those new laws, he's saying the very same thing that he said to Israel, be salt and light to the world. Okay, so he, God himself, comes down from the mountain now. And as he's coming down, he finds a leper. And he came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, didn't touch him. And he said, no, because I didn't come to clean you. I came to save your soul. So I don't care about your body. I care about 
your soul only. But rejoice, you are saved. <laughs> That's not what it says. It says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, um, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, get away from me, stupid, dirty, gentle dog. You deserve nothing. Uh, no, he said, I will come and heal him. Notice those two examples. First of all, leprosy is a sickness that makes you unclean. You cannot go into the temple. And, and, and these people were isolated because of that, because they will, they will be like um, a walking um, signpost that will say, if you touch me, you will be dirty like me. Uh, like a walking virus, right? And, and Jesus touches him. That's striking because he is the clean one who can never get polluted. And because he is that, he cleanses this guy. But the fact that he's touching him means that he cares for his body. He cares for our bodies. The hope of the Christian is the resurrection of the body by the way. What aches, what hurts, it will not hurt anymore, right? Think about that. That's, that's, a great, that's a great hope. He will give us a new body. And then he comes to a centurion who is not worthy, who doesn't deserve anything, who is a Gentile, and Jesus could have easily said, you know what? You don't deserve anything because you are a Gentile, you don't belong to uh, the people of God, and, and therefore nothing for you. Um, but Jesus says, no, I will come. And the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under, a, under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to the another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel I have found such faith. Isn't that crazy? And then he heals the servant. The point of the story is not about uh, the servant, because he's just mentioned three times, and he never speaks. He's mute in the story, not in real life. I don't know in real life. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us, but in the story he's mute. The ones who speak are Jesus, and the centurion. And in both cases, is the centurion recognizing that he's speaking to a superior. What is this but the hope of the Gentiles being displayed? The fact that the kingdom of God, which is bigger than Israel, uh, Israel only, has come and has come to be spread throughout the world. And in different ways. Jesus, notice, doesn't say to the centurion, I will perform the miracle, but stop harassing Israel. Stop being a centurion. Did, did you notice that? He doesn't say that. Why? 
Because the gospel takes us where we are and he uses us where we are. Uh, things are going to change for this centurion, of course, but he will not stop being a centurion. Paul gives instructions to the Christians about submit, submitting to authorities that we are going to see later on. But in the meantime, just notice the kingdom of God is concerned, Jesus Christ is concerned more than just souls. Uh, Paul gets very concerned about how, how Christians live this life in, in the world. Um, notice this one, First uh, Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Good, because that's leaving natural law to kingdoms in the world. I'm so glad that you guys are having that distinction well among you. You are to be commended, Corinthians, because that's how it is. God, Jesus Christ rules the world in a different way. He doesn't say that. So, this is shameful. You are arrogant. Ought you not to rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So Paul cares, right? Jesus cares. We are to live in a different way because we have a different principle of life in us. Uh, think about plants. Uh, if you have a little garden and then you plant roses on one hand, just, just pretend with me that roses don't have those hibernation things. Let's say they grow here naturally. Um, you have on the one hand roses, and on the other hand you have tulips. It will be really weird to see a tulip growing thorns and then uh, you know going very rose color and opening like that. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? You were supposed to be a tulip. And the rose like, yeah, I don't know either. Well, you know, we are tulips. Uh, we don't have the same principle of life that the rose has. It will be weird if we start acting like roses, right? Um, and that's not, again, one kingdom or two kingdoms. That has to do with the nature that we have in ourselves. It's a different nature. It's a different life principle. Um, so we need to see things as the scriptures depict them, namely, as organic life that is involved in a multiformity of settings or spheres. As the church visible gathers on the Lord's Day, it receives a blessings and encouragement from God's word. And when the church visible is dispersed throughout the, the, throughout the city, it doesn't stop existing. Rather, it carries that life and blessings it received in order to live it out in this world. Um, if we understand things in this way, it will become easier to understand the distinction between institution and organism. Uh, before we go there, uh, again, I can't encourage you enough to read Augustine. Read Augustine, The City of God. I know, it's very chunky. It's a big book. Uh, but it's so fun. And, and he is living in a way, in a time in which um, there was no Christians around. Very few. And the few that were there were living as you know, servants of the emperor, or, or people who were under slavery, or people who were patricians, people who are struggling with these questions. And Augustine doesn't say, well, you know, when you are serving the emperor, don't worry about it, it's okay. Um, he doesn't say that. And we will see uh, a little bit down uh, here in the paper what he says, um, which I, I found very interesting. 
also when he's confronting the pagan beliefs he doesn't go um, let me argue from what you already know uh, from your instincts in order to in order to uh, prove you that God exists he does that because there is common grace and there is revelation of God he never leaves himself without a witness but he also uses the scriptures and he uses their own theology to destroy them it's super fun to hear him speak about uh, the, the pagan gods and what they do um, so anyhow what is the mission of the church as an institution before we go there do you have any questions okay all right i'm not convinced i'm gonna ask again do you have any questions all right the mission of the church as an institution the visible institutional church has received clear mandates from god himself about her mission think about passages like matthew 28 uh, 18 to 20 right and Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the main mission of the institutional church. When you come to church, when you are gathered together as God's people, you come to hear God's word. And, and God's word proclaimed to you from the pulpit. Um, think about this really cool uh, imagery. I'm not sure how much of that biblical theology is built up in the way we build our churches. I don't know. Um, but uh, just as Jesus goes to the mountain, uh, the minister of the word goes up in that little hill to speak to you from a higher place, not because... I'm better than you, but because we are paying attention to something that is superior to us, that is God's very same word. And just uh, the reading of it is enough for the Holy Spirit to transform your heart. The fact that he just decides to use someone useless as Christian is a miracle. Because in myself, in ourselves, we have nothing to change people's heart. We have tons of things to uh, manipulate people, but we don't have anything to transform people's hearts. And, and so uh, when the preaching of the word is carried, faithful to what God's word says, then uh, we have God speaking to us. And then that's used by the Holy Spirit because he has promised he will uh, in order to transform our hearts. That's the mission of the church. The business of the church is to bring the gospel to, to, to God's people, and then throughout the nations. So 1 Corinthians 11, there is another thing that the church is to do. Uh, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's another thing that the church is to do. We need to administer the sacraments to God's people. Uh, God's visible, tangible grace, uh, Jesus Christ to you. 
for your nourishment. Um, you cannot do this at home. Uh, I know during COVID there were some, certain churches that were doing it. I was pulling my hair out with my classmates and other people because uh, that's not what it's meant to do. We are not to do it online. Uh, there is uh, a visible, uh, physical unity that we are showing right now that represents the spiritual unity that we have in the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's not meant to be done online. How many people just did it through TV? And even today, like that's been detrimental for the church. Um, so <clears throat> preaching of the word, administration of the sacraments. Those are the main uh, means of grace that God has given the mission of the church to preach the word and administer the sacraments. Now, um, there is more than that, though. <clears throat> Timothy and Titus have lengthy instructions about what the church is to do. How do we elect elders? How do we elect deacons? How do we go about doing ministry? Uh, Timothy is, is to care for um, the younger and the elderly, and he is to show respect to those older uh, brothers and sisters. He is to see, Titus is to see older women as sisters. No, that's Timothy. Titus is to look for those older women who um, have gifts so they can encourage the younger woman. That's uh, the life of the church as we are gathered together. There is um, also uh, another thing. We have elders, we have deacons. What are the deacons to do? Remember Acts chapter 2, and then Acts chapter 6, and then how that develops. There is a fight. We are not being cared for you, Hebrews. Why is that? Because there is division. The Greek ladies don't, are not cared for because there is prejudices, racial prejudices right there. And so the apostles go, it's not good that we are distracting ourselves with this. We need to name deacons. And what are they to do? They are to bring God's mercies uh, to, to, to God's people, uh, caring for them. Um, um, you know, it's... It, it's like David put an example yesterday. Is your guy, is your house winterized? Are you ready, uh, sister? We can do it for you. We will take care of you. Um, oh, by the way, spring is coming. Is your house ready? What, what do we need to uh, take care of? How can we help you? Uh, right? That's being the institutional church. Deacons come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, extending his mercy, his hands, his arms in order to help those who are in need inside the church, and then sometimes even outside of the church. But first of all, inside the church. So that's, that's part of the institutional church. Uh, remember what I said several weeks ago. Deacons are officers too. They represent Jesus Christ as well. When you find, uh, when they come officially to your house, don't go, I don't need anything. Go, I will let you bless me. Uh, because that's Jesus Christ blessing me, and thank you, right? Uh, let's learn to be humble. I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy for me either, but let's be humble. Let's uh, allow them to help us. Let's allow Jesus Christ to extend his arms and hands to help us.
and let's show that that as as we pray for them and as we uh, show them the respect that they deserve as well, right? Uh, one of the downsides of evangelicalism is that uh, deacons are not seen as officers, um, and and sometimes uh, pastors are seen like this super powerful guy who has like twenty offices. He's pastor, elder, deacon. He's also like a janitor. He's also security office. So when your tire goes down, whom do you call? Pastor. Like, no, that's not his office. It's not that I don't want to help you. I will be happy to help you. But that's not my office. I'm not called to do that. And I just heard from a dear brother that he's spending like 30 hours a week um, fixing things in people's houses. He's the, the senior pastor. I'm like, brother, you are not to do that. That's not your duty. You are stealing from the deacons. And you are stealing from your congregation because you are not having the time to prepare for everything that you need to do. Um, so good order that God has given us for the institutional church. Uh, he has given us the means of grace. Uh, Westminster Church Catechism 88. Uh, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. That's the mission of the church. But what about hard topics? Uh, let's say we are living in Nazi Germany and, and uh, we are hiding Jews. Okay. Uh, well, proponents of the uh, reform to kingdom natural law will say that we are to preach anything that we are not to preach anything that has political tones. Uh, yeah, but Nazi Germany is killing people by tons. Doesn't the church has a voice? Then you shall not murder. Um, no, but that's that's natural law kingdom. That's a different sphere. Don't say anything. Um, Okay, so how far do you want to extend that limit? Um, what about abortion? Uh, what about corruption? All of those things the Bible touches upon. It's not even reformed, in, in uh, historically reformed. Uh, who was it? I think, I think, oh yeah, I think John Davenant, he was uh, the preacher of the king in uh, England, and uh, Charles I is persecuting the Puritans, and uh, he has Laud as bishop of the uh, Canterbury Church. And John Davenant made a slight mention of predestination in his sermon. Elect, excuse me, election. Persecuted, incarcerated because of that. Um, Okay, so how about that? If the government controls what we say and what we not say, and he forbids us to preach uh, election um, or what we believe in, shall we listen to them just because that's, you know, the government? Well, we go to jail, period, right? Um, um, of course, some proponents of R2K will say, well, no, they are intermingling in the church. Um, 
Yeah, but you gave them the space to in the first place because you are denying the word to speak when it has to speak. That's why we have the Lectio Continua, right? I don't choose what to preach except in the Christmas series that we are doing. Uh, but other than that, we pick a book, go through it, and, uh, you know, if that touches a sensitive point, um, go talk to God. <laughs> Don't complain with me. Because it's in the scriptures. It, it, it is super helpful because it, it doesn't let me stress about it. Right? It's in God's word. Sorry, you got offended? Uh, I got offended too. But I need to submit. Right? And I need to repent. So you too repent. That's how it works. Uh, that's the benefit of the Lectio Continua. And I can't imagine the tyranny of my conscience and my mind deciding every single week what you are to listen. That's so weird. Uh, like, yeah, forget about it. No. Um, that's the mission of the church as an institution. Do you have any questions? Okay, the mission of the church as an organism. Uh, if the mission of the institutional church is the ministry of the gospel with all its official ramifications, then the mission of the church as an organism refers to Christians living this gospel out in the world. The gospel life has consequences, and so Christians engage in every area of life for God's glory. Uh, so think about, you know, um, um, I think R2K has... Um, has has a stronghold into our uh, lives because we are in America and America has Christian roots. And so it's easy to say, well, that's normal. That's, that's natural law. Like everyone knows you are not to kick your neighbor. Everyone knows you are not to beat up your dad. That's, that's just, you know, normal. Uh, everyone knows you are to be a good neighbor. And that if their driveway is dirty or with snow, what a good neighbor will do is, you know, help them. That's not normal. That's not normal at all. As a South American Ecuadorian who didn't grow up in a, in a country uh, with Christian roots because we abandoned that 100 years ago, I can tell you that is not normal. That is weird. Uh, you walk around thinking everyone is at you. You walk around thinking everyone wants to kill you. You, want, you walk around in the office thinking everyone is trying to make you fall so they can ascend because you need to be a shark and, uh, and gain your, your way into the top. Um, you walk around trying to find ways in which you can seduce your coworker because she's prettier, better than my wife. And everyone does that anyway. What, what's life without two or three affairs? That will be boring. That's normal. That's, that's normal. To, to feel ashamed because you were discovered uh, in an affair, that's like not normal. Uh, you know, I, I think I told you taxi drivers boast publicly of having two or three. Uh, and, and offices are full with that, filled with that. I saw it. I lived through it. I was mocked because I didn't do it. That's normal. That's life in a world where the gospel has not taken hold of. So, 
being a Christian changes the way you do things. And when you go into the office and everyone is taking like a week to do the workload of a day and you are doing it in a day and then, you know, um, suddenly you are being productive, uh, that's causing you trouble because you are being productive and the other ones are not. Now you are being seen down upon because you are a black sheep, right? What's wrong with you? Come on, you need to take more time. Um, well, I'm working. Like there's nothing wrong with that, right? Uh, when, when you go home on time, to spend time with your family and kids, but you are not partying with your office friends and, and with the girls who work there too, What's wrong with you? Don't you want uh, uh, like five, 10, 12 beers and, and then see where that leads? No, I don't want that. Who will want that? A Christian doesn't want that, right? Um, so that's what I mean. Uh, the church is not there with you in the office, but the Holy Spirit is. You are still united to Jesus Christ, are you not? His presence is still convicting your conscience. You are still part of the kingdom of God and you are bringing that kingdom to be present wherever you are. So um, how could that uh, not transform the way uh, you do things? Uh, so it is helpful to note here, however, that every sphere of the world has a distinct life principle on it. Think, for example, about a family. A man relates to his wife in a very husband-like way. Then he relates to his children in a fatherly way. He relates to his co-workers in a different way. Not that, the, that he's a different person, right? That's kind of weird to say this. he's a different person. No, he's the same person, uh, uh, but that every single one of those calls for a different kind of relationship. That man cannot kiss his co-worker. Um, he cannot spank his co-worker either. It's not... It's not how it works. There are different relationships. And so in the same way with the church, when we go to the world, you don't go to your working place and start reading your Bible. You should have done that before coming to work because now you are stealing. Um, but the way you work changes. It makes, it, it makes a difference. Uh, can you imagine like a husband uh, saying, well, I'm going to spank my wife because she behaved bad. Like, I know that was true 50 years ago, uh, but it shouldn't be like that. Like, let's, who was it? I saw it in an old American movie several years ago. It's like, is she okay? Yeah, yeah I think so. Is she okay? Or maybe she just needs a, a smack to, to, to put senses on her. Like, to bring, to bring her to, to her senses or something like that. I was like, wow. <laughs> um, in the same way, when Christians engage the different spheres in the world, they need to understand the different life principle that God has given to that sphere. For example, a Christian shouldn't expect that the government should administer the sacraments to him. That'll be weird. What are you doing? Oh yeah, you know, waiting for my wine and my bread to receive uh, Jesus Christ in uh, spiritual form. Like, no. The government doesn't have that a prerogative. Prerogative. They have tried to, 
the church has always struggled and fight against it. It uh, doesn't belong to the state, nor should the church expect the government to ordain ministers to serve as the state's functionaries. It has happened. It still happens in the Church of England, right? Um, but it shouldn't be that way. Uh, Pope Boniface, that we have talked about him before, he fought against that with the King of France. And the Pope was right. He, he was killed, but he was right. Uh, he got it right. The state cannot ordain their priests. Uh, it's the church who has that prerogative. Uh, but the principle of life of the government is to do justice, and a Christian is to advocate for justice as opportunities and circumstances allow, remembering there is, there is no perfect justice in this world. Uh, how does that look like? Uh, well, we have really good examples in history, right? Romans ditching babies because they were, they were worth for nothing. What did the Christians do? They went to the places where they ditch babies and they rescue them, knowing that that could cause them lots of problems. That's, what, that's how the, the, um, um, the Roman Empire changed, little by little. They didn't go, oh, the Christian has rescued them. Those are great Christians. Let's be like them. No, it was, what's wrong with these guys? And, and, and so on. But slowly, because of the life principle of Christianity, that changed things. Uh, what about, um, you know, slavery? Um, so the advocates of, of against slavery were Christians. And they were, uh, it was sad to see that uh, they were mocked as liberal Christians. Um, and yet, no, that's, that was not the case. Charles Hodge was not liberal. He's a very orthodox theologian, and he advocated against slavery in the States. Uh, Wilberforce, as you know, and in, uh, in, uh, in other places, um, that was the case by other Christian theologians too. Um, we are not helped here in America because we are divided into, it seems like we are divided all the time, but we are divided into uh, parties, Democratic and Republican Party. And, and uh, no one is trying to think in a distinctive Christian way about politics. We just want to be divided more and more and more. Uh, and that's, that's not helpful. That's, that's not going to help us. And the alternatives? are not good either. Uh, let's make Christ, uh, uh, America a Christian nation. Let's wait until these like uh, guys destroy themselves and we slowly create our own society. And when everything collapses, we will make it. Um, how do you know that that's gonna happen? How do you know they are going to collapse? We don't know. The future belongs to God, not to us. Um, and God has not called us to be little monasteries. He has called us to action and to live the Christian life in different organic ways. Uh, the church as an organism also gets involved in education, producing and promoting Christian schools, the arts, sciences, and so on. Uh, it is good for a Christian to aspire to be the emperor, Augustine affirms, since he will rule better. Um, Seeking to establish a Christian nation has never been a reformed idea. 
Calvin, in fact, denies this. This is book four, um, I think, chapter 11. I don't remember. I should have put it there. I'll bring it back next week if I can, if I remember. He, in fact, affirms that there is no mode of government that is biblical. He says, I will prefer a republic. But he says, even then, it's not prescribed in the scriptures. Um, not democracy, nor socialism, nor communism, nor republic. In fact, in some way or another, in our another, all of them spring directly or indirectly from a certain interpretation of scriptures. The reformed have followed it have followed Calvin on this too. So think about um, the uh, communistic idea. What is communism but Christianity without a God? Right? The problem is not sin. The problem is poverty. And the solution is not the atonement of Jesus Christ, but that we all are Smurfs, uh, equal, right? Uh, working together in this uh, village in which we all are going to be happy. And eschatology is not eternity with Jesus Christ, enjoying his presence, is all dancing, as I said, like Smurfs, where we will be happy. It has a sin problem, uh, poverty. It has justification, your own works, because we all um, become comrades who will share everything that we have in order for everyone to uh, be um, able to do, uh, to be equal. And then it has an eschatology, we will be happy. Uh, it's, it's Christianity without God. Uh, it, has, it has everything that the skeleton of Christianity has. That's why it's so attractive. That's why it's so attractive. Every lie has something good on it. And um, we are to follow, um, we are to live in this world wherever God has put us uh, in a way that is distinctively Christian. Um, and that sometimes means that we are going to care for our country and sometimes that we are going to criticize our country. And none of those are going to be attractive. Um, so we're past time. Uh, sorry. Do you have any questions? Huh? <laughs> yeah. As an organism, yes. Taken upon him. Yeah. Yeah. I think yes and no. Yes, because it doesn't properly belong to the government. Um, but um, because of our selfishness as Christians, it has become necessary that the government does that. And and that's that's really sad. Because when as I said last week, when in England people were dying by typhus because of, of water and the churches didn't come to help them. They just said, let the companies do it because it's, it's a free world and uh, people should do it freely. You know who had to intervene in order to make that happen and save lives? 
the government. So the government has been forced to it because we are too selfish. We are too concerned about ourselves. And um, uh, we can say that's the work of the church and so on. Uh, but there, there is another reality too. Life is more complex now than it was in the first century. We have more obligations. We have more uh, expenses and things like that. And if you remove every kind of aid that the government wants to give, um, then who is going to help? Uh, so it's, it's a complex question. I'm not saying what the government is doing is okay either. So don't, don't misunderstand me there. Because um, the philosophy to approach those things should be different. Uh, and yet, who is going to step in? Because the excuse is good. It's not the government's job. It should be freely to people to help. Uh, it should be our prerogative. And yet, who is going to help? Everyone is uh, concerned about their own interests, right? Uh, so I, I think we have allowed that to happen. Yeah. And as church is losing more and more power and is losing more and more terrain uh, in different times and eras, the government sadly has stopped in to do that. So, so um, what would be a good solution for that since we now have a big government in every single country, basically, even in the States? Well, the big solution would be, the good solution should be to have a Christian political party and to fight for uh, regulating those better and uh, regulating the conditions of, upon which we do that. Because there is a reality. Even if we want the government to stop that, uh, because before it was not like that, uh, we cannot go back in time. And people don't easily give up the things that they have already won unless there is a, a civil war or something like that. And I don't think we want to go there just because we want the government to be more limited. There are a proper ways we can do that. Um, but as if we continue being divided, as we are right now, um, I don't know if that's going to change. Yep. Does that answer your question, more or less? It does. You know, that's kind of, I think, the stance that I generally kind of take is ideally, ideally yes, the church controls this world much more. Practically, especially in our modern age, we don't. Yeah. Um, so then the question is, what should be the church? Should we have, you know, like, think about Catholic services or things like that, where they basically have to do with their own social programs um, that work alongside or in replacement of kind of filling that gap. Yeah. Um, So it's not that is not the work of the church as an institution, though. It should be the work of Christians organizing together and trying to think about those kind of questions in better ways. Uh, like the Acton Institute is an yeah, is an institute that dedicates itself to think about economics and politics from a purely Christian perspective, and they are doing some of those efforts here in the states, uh, engaging with the academia and with politics and and things like that. Uh, but but the church doesn't have, uh, you know, I don't have to be involved in the Acton Institute because I'm a pastor and I, I have limited time. But maybe you guys can 
and and it will be a good thing to uh, dig deeper and think on solutions for that. Yeah. Yep, yep, yeah, I think so. It's the same with the school. Uh, the school is is uh, not the role of the church to create. It's Christian families to come who come together and they create the school, and they decide where the fa the school goes to, and what do we teach to our kids and everything. Um, so so that's why we have a board here, and we are concerned about spiritual matters. Do we, we, the session cares for uh, who the teachers are, are they Christians or not, and everything. Uh, but we don't say, you know what, you cannot teach sciences here, because uh, that's not our call. So that's how it works. Yep. And yeah, it, like I like how Indiana those things, you can designate your taxes to uh, schools. It doesn't matter which one. So you can send your taxes to the public school or you can send taxes to the Christian school and the government will do it. The Indiana government will do it for you. And that's amazing. Uh, it's sad that we don't have that more in other states. Yeah. All right. Uh, sorry, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, this time in Sunday school. Thank you for... Um, how you have given us uh, your Holy Spirit to transform our lives. Help us to be salt and light in this world and help us to struggle with these questions in a wise way so your name may be glorified and uh, we may bring the kingdom uh, in view in the places that we are engaging with unbelievers. And as we come uh, to worship you, bless us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.